Okay, right. Hello, everyone. Okay, right. So, um, I've been leading the youth now since 2012. So that's seven, seven, seven years, seven and a half actually. And when I was in the first year that I was leading the youth, we did a weekend away. And I've never been in charge for a youth weekend away before, so I was well nervous and like kind of running on adrenaline a little bit. And so we got all the kids to meet at uh, Castle Point, and that's when they're all starting to ask, which room am I in? Who have you put me in? Ben, that was you. <laughs> Still not forgiven him for that. Then you're trying to find out which kid hasn't turned up, and I've, I've mapped out the schedule because there's certain things that couldn't be moved at this particular weekend away, such as the swimming session. So I've got to make sure that we've got everything sorted before the swimming session, and then we've got to pick someone else up from the train station at this point in time. There's lots of different moving parts, which no one else was really aware of, but I was aware of, and I felt kind of a little bit of a pressure with that, as well as trying to make sure I returned all the children that I took away in one piece. And, and so we left Castle Point. I'm leading this convoy. And we're driving down through Dagenham towards the A13. And as we're driving, I happen to catch out the corner of my eyes. I'm going past. It looked like this, this, this guy was in one of those um, kind of electric wheelchairs. And he looked to be in distress. And so I'm, I'm watching. I'm seeing this coming up ahead. And I thought, I want, what, what it looked like is something had gone wrong or it it run out of um, battery or whatever. And I'm starting to think, oh, all right, what, what, what do I do? And so I'm thinking, well, I've, I've got all these cars behind me. I'm leading the convoy. I've got to be there. I, I've got an important schedule for, for all these kids. And we've been praying about these kids meeting with God. And we've got someone to pick up from the train station. By the time I've processed all of that, I've driven past. And it's never left my thoughts, the fact that I drove past. But I wouldn't really know what to do if I stopped. I'm not an engineer. I've, I've never worked with um, someone in a wheelchair before. I'm sure there'd probably be other people that are also driving past that would have seen, maybe people that are walking past that weren't leading a convoy of young people that would be in a better position to help. I'm going to leave that story there for a second. I think God's um, been talking to me recently about curiosity. And we all know the famous phrase about curiosity. The truth is it might just curiosity. Anyone tell me what this story is? The Good Samaritan. Okay, right. Eureka Age. Tell me who are the bad guys in the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Hands up. Man, if only you were as quiet as this on youth nights. Come on, who do you reckon? Who are the bad guys in the story of Good Samaritan? You don't know. Who teaches you Bible? I'm hearing robbers. Yes, definitely bad guys. Okay, is that the only bad guys in the story? The Pharisees. Don't, there wasn't actually a Pharisee, but you're close. 
there's a priest, and do you know who the other one was? Darth Vader. Darth Vader. <laughs> no. Levi, okay. Sheila, you, you qualify as one of the young people. Okay. So, Jesus is talking, he says... A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the same place and saw him. So a Levite works in the temple. So they're they're kind of regarded as, as holy people. He also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... Also, um, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and he saw him, took pity on him, went to him and bandaged his wounds, and we know the rest of the story. The priest and the Levite really get a bad rap out of this. We really think, oh, bad guys. Well, you guys didn't immediately, but I do. I think, man, they're... they're I can't believe they left a, someone in distress on the street and walked past him. And I always like to think of myself as the good Samaritan when I kind of read that story. That, that's the one that I associate with. That's the good guy. But in the story I've just told you, how was I any different from the Levite or the priest? Maybe they had good reasons like I had good reasons. It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say in the story, what if... What if, what if that guy was a, a bad guy and he actually was robbing other people and he got beaten up? Maybe that's why he's on the floor. Okay, that's, that's fine. Well, I'm, I'm a priest. I'm not medically trained. I don't know what this guy's going to need. I'm, I'm not the right person for the job. What if this is a trap? What if he's only pretending and I go over to him because I know there's rob- robbers in this part and they grab me? I've got such important stuff to do. I'm going to the temple. That's where we worship Jesus. Well, not at that point. (laughs) It's where we worship God. I feel challenged to be a little bit more understanding of the priest and the Levite. How many opportunities do we have every single day that we walk past? See, I can only tell you the stories of the ones that I'm aware of. The only times where I've not walked past, where I have seen. But I think God gives us a sense of curiosity because he wants to lead us into his adventure. Curiosity can be the doorway to adventure. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When Moses saw that he'd gone over to look, When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. There was something that caught his attention. He was curious 
And his curiosity led him to a point where God started to speak to him, where he got commissioned, where his life completely changed. Curiosity draws us into what God wants us to see. Today, I want to challenge you to turn up your curiosity sensors, your receptors, your radar. I want you to begin to unleash your curiosity because God's going to use it to lead you into places where he wants you to engage. So the three things that I want you to hear today. Curiosity brings us close enough to know. Curiosity is costly. Curiosity can be boosted or blocked. We want to unleash your God-given curiosity. Okay, so the first one. Curiosity brings us close enough to know. There's a um, scene from a movie, Django Unchained, I think it's called. Um, you've got this, this line. You had my curiosity, but now you have my intention. There's a, there's a process of drawing, getting us to engage with something. Something captures that initial look, and then it gets our full attention. My dad often uses the phrase, close enough to know, love enough to care, and willing to pay the price. Close enough to know, love enough to care, willing to pay the price. This is what God calls us to be to each other. Well, I think that curiosity draws us close enough to know. I had a um, WhatsApp conversation with someone um, a few weeks back, and they just um, WhatsApped me to ask me about um, something to do with my, my job. And I just happened to ask another question. And, oh, what, where, where are you? And the person said, I, I'm on holiday. Oh, that, that, that's, that's nice. You have, having a nice time? And I replied back, yes, yeah, it's, it's okay. I said, oh, you, you seem to like going, journeying around uh, different places. And the person said, yeah, but I'm lonely. And when I thought about the conversation, there were so many natural ends to the conversation. I could have just dealt with my work-related responsibility. I could have just asked, where are you? I could have just asked, what, what's the temperature like in that place? There's many times... <laughs> there's many times that I couldn't, the conversation could have come to a natural end. But there was something that kind of kept me going. I'd, I had a curiosity just to ask the next question. And I think that was God bringing me close enough to the point of ne necessary engagement with that person. And I realized for that particular person at this point in time, they'd never planned to be alone. It had, their life had not worked out the way that they'd hoped it would be. And there was something of God's compassion that just rose up in me at that point. And I'm thinking, God, what can I say? What can I do? I'm too far away to give, a, give this person a hug right now. So what is it that I can say? When we're drawn close enough to know what's going on, we can be relevant with our responses. And we want to get past the superficial. We want to know what really matters. Recently, um, 
Jamie McKenna's been working with me, we did a, a survey for the young people because we wanted to know what matters. We wanted to get under the, under the skin. How, what, what is important to them? And so by asking these questions, we kept on like, we're agonizing over, if we ask this question, does that really get us underneath? And Jamie was analyzing the data because he's a bit of a nerd. He's like, oh, so much data to play with. <laughs> and he's putting it on all these different graphs. graphs. But after the, the youth had done the survey, he called me um, about 10 o'clock at night in tears. He said, I don't know if this is the compassion thing that we've been talking about, but I can see and feel the pain of these young people in certain areas of our questioning. And I think the curiosity brought him close enough to ask the questions that ventured deeper than the superficial. He wanted to know what's really going on. And suddenly there's an exposure to pain and hurt and anxiety. And I thought, wow, now, God, what is a, 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 an appropriate response? And it's sometimes like when you've lent on something, you've come close enough to something and it's left a mark in your hand or on your arm or like a watch strap or something like that. When you come closer to, to something, it can leave an impression on you. And I've been in conversations with people that have, are wrestling with doubts, people that, that have suffered depression, uh, feeling isolated. And I might not have anything to say in that time, but I'm, I'm finding that, excuse me, that often God has given me a fascination. What must that have been like? What's going on for you? How do you deal with that? How do you process with that? And I might not have anything to say at that point in time, but it's left an impression on me, and I carry it away from the conversation. And I think that's something that God does. When he brings us close enough, he allows something to leave a mark on us. Curiosity is costly. This is the story of Jesus that meets the woman that has the, the, the issue with bleeding. So it starts in uh, Luke 8, verse 40. Now, Jesus returned. A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Okay, so we've got someone coming to him in crisis. He's got all these people already trying to meet him. And here comes a guy that is desperate, pleading, begging. He's a guy of importance, possibly. I don't think that particularly matters. But here, this thing has, has taken priority over everything else. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, I know that power has gone out from me. 
Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now, thankfully, we know the end of that story. Jesus goes and raises this, this girl from the dead back to life again. But imagine being there in real time. This dramatic scene that Jesus just arrived at this place. People are crowding. Everyone wants to listen to him, want to be healed by him, bringing their sick ones, people that have been um, unable to be cured by anything else. And here, something takes priority Jairus' daughter, and he's on his way. But it was as he was on his way, he got interrupted. He got interrupted, he stopped and he turns around. Who touched me? Now, Peter's saying, everyone's touching you, Jesus. You are almost being crushed here. Let's, Let's kind of keep on with the focus. Let's keep on going with what we are meant to be doing. It's very important. And you see, timing was of the essence Jairus was thinking, if he doesn't get to my daughter, she will die, and then that's the end of the story. Well, that time was pretty short. As he was still on his way, a messenger comes from his house and says, she's gone. Don't, don't worry, Jesus, anymore. It's too late. Well, it, was, it wasn't too late for Jesus. He comes, heals her, brings her back to life. But the willingness to be interrupted is a cost of curiosity. What is it that we will allow ourselves to be stopped right in the track of? To be diverted to the thing that God is drawing our attention to. Jesus couldn't even grieve the passing of John the Baptist without being interrupted. Jesus was constantly being willing to be interrupted. I'm not so willing myself to be interrupted. If I've got a plan, I've got a timeline... I've got an order of things. I've heard it described that in 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love. Love is patient. Well, love is patient, patient. Love gives time to people that need it. Impatience, therefore, is the opposite. It's the inability to give time. To give time to people that need the time. So you've got a timeline... This is how things are meant to work over the next bit. If something doesn't fit into my timeline, it becomes an inconvenience to me, and I become impatient. So if I'm late leaving my house and trying to drive to work, and I find this happens in good maze, and they're determined to drive 15 miles an hour and go exactly my route to work, I begin to get irritated. Though, who had made me late? Me. I've made myself late. But now this person is getting my wrath because it feels like they're the ones that are making me late. It's amazing how I could find that completely fine. But when it doesn't fit into my time frame, it becomes an inconvenience to me. It becomes a cost to me. And 
I lose all sense of mercy. I've heard this, um, this guy describe in the city where, where he's from, every coffee that you go and get in the shop takes about eight minutes. And you just accept it's eight minutes and you use that time to talk to people or just relax and it will be eight minutes before your coffee's ready. But when you're already feeling that you're running late, that eight-minute coffee is such an inconvenience. So how willing am I to be interrupted from my schedule? Am I like Jesus or am I getting irritated with things like a learner driver? Someone that's not learning quick enough. Someone that's bringing issues to me that feels like a diversion. Curiosity is also costly because we have to be present. I realized when I was meeting someone for, for lunch the other day in a restaurant, I got there, and within seconds I'm looking at my phone. I didn't even actually acknowledge what was going on in the room around me. I wasn't being present, I was being somewhere else. How often do we do that? How often do we disappear from where we are and we've got something else in our mind? How often do we do it in conversations? That's much more of a risk to us than a half-dead person on the side of the road on our way to work. Very few of us are going to face that situation, but we are going to be in situations where we're in conversation, and we've got to decide if we're going to engage with those conversations. I'm trying to be a good listener, but you keep breaking my concentration by talking. <laughs> I might be listening, but am I hearing... Someone I know was telling me about an exercise that they, they had to do where you had to listen to someone talk to you and you had to raise your hand every time you realised you'd stopped listening to them. <laughs> and in this room... <laughs> and it, it was shocking um, to watch across this room while all these people were doing this exercise, how often these hands were coming up. And they, were, they weren't talking over the person... But just one thing that they would say would trigger a memory and then they'd go back into their, their real play of a constant memory. We are constantly doing these things. Or they say something and you think, well, that's a terrible thing to say. And you start thinking how terrible the person is that's talking. <laughs> or you're thinking, oh, are they telling me this again? I've heard this so many times. Sometimes we're just waiting for a gap in their flow of language to say something. And we're actually kind of crafting our response and we're thinking oh that's going to be a really clever thing to say when I'm going to put that one in we're not actually listening to what the person's saying at that time how often are we thinking how am I being perceived by this person that's talking to me if I say this in this way will they think that or if I, if I do this in this way can I, can I yawn right now what will they think if I yawn I'm going to suppress it you never, you can never disguise a yawn. If it's there, <laughs> you know. How much are we walking by on the side of the road because we're not actually listening to the conversations that are happening in front of us? Sometimes I've, I've watched, I've never been part of this myself, but I've watched other people. It's almost like they're not 
actually interacting or building on what each other's saying. It's just like two kind of floods of consciousness shuffled together. It's like one person makes a statement and another person makes a statement that builds on their previous statement that has nothing to do with the other person's statement. So just face a mirror, you'd be happy. <laughs> Never done that myself. So am I willing to be interrupted? I was uh, having a conversation with a youth leader the other day and they were saying, I, I need more patience with, with our young people when we're doing discussions and there's a time frame to, to, to talk about these things and sometimes the behaviour's uh, not helpful. I said, well, sometimes that is what you should be listening to, the, the behaviour. Sometimes the behaviour is a greater indicator than the answer. So if someone's dodging or someone's drawing attention to something else. Maybe that's the thing that God wants us to see. Maybe that's the burning bush that's distracting us from being a shepherd at that point in time. And that's okay. That's something that God's allowing us to see. And to me, that's one of the privileges of being a youth leader and involved with people is sometimes God allows us to see stuff that he's working in someone else's life that even they're unaware of. One of my favourite verses is in Genesis 28 when Jacob's just had this miraculous dream about God and angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And he wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. How often are we not aware of what God's already up to? That's why I want to be curious. God, what are you up to? Where are your fingerprints on this person's life? I want to see it. I want to hear it in their stories. I want to, to understand it in their relationships. God, what are you up to in this person's life? How are you coping with what you're going through? Where have you seen God come through? Or haven't you seen God come through? And maybe it's my job to help you see that. We could have a life where we're not bored in conversation because God is alive and well in every single human life. And it could be that we are there at that point in time to point out, I think that might be God doing something there. So curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity can kill us. It can kill our sinfulness, the thing that won't venture, that won't depart from the things that we want. Curiosity can be boosted or blocked. What keeps me curious? What helps me just think about another question, that other question, one more question that brings me into someone's life or when I'm listening, that I'm just tuning in a little bit better? Well, knowing God, experiencing God's love for me, his curiosity towards me, means that all I'm doing is reflecting him. It's not about something I'm summing up in myself, is about what he wants to do through me. See, God is curious. God is curious of us. Some of you may have been here when Rachel Turner came and taught. She's written some fantastic stuff that we've taken on working with our children. But um, she'd, uh, she talked about her first real experience of meeting with God. She'd gone away on this children's camp, and it was all about finding and bonding with your friends and she's really looking forward to it, really excited and all of her friends bonded just without her and she felt like she was just walking behind the crowd 
the whole weekend and was really devastated. And there was a point where she describes it. She was really miserable, and so they're, but, but they're at this, on this mountaintop where they were staying. So she thought, well, if I'm going to be miserable, let me go and be miserable in somewhere beautiful. So she walks to the, the edge of this mountain and looking, looking over, and she just blurts out, God, I'm so frustrated. And she said it was almost an audible voice of God saying, tell me more. Tell me more. Your 13-year-old angst. Tell me more about it. Your small issue is big to you, therefore it's big to me. That's the God that we know. He's curious. How often does he come close to listen to us, to hear what matters in our lives? If he's doing that to me, maybe he'll do it through me to someone else also. When I get home from work, Arthur comes running up to me and he starts telling me about his day. Now, I've, I already know about his day. I've had texts throughout the day explaining what he's done throughout the day. But I just love to hear it from him. I want to hear his wording, his phrasing. I want to, I want to be welcomed in to what he's doing. That's God's attitude to us. And if we allow it, that's the attitude God wants to give us to other people. You see, sometimes I can't, I don't find you interesting. Don't take it personally. Sometimes there's just not enough kind of going on already for me to want to know about your life. But if I think about God and the fact that I'm pretty interested in him, I recognise that you're a piece of his artwork. So if, for instance, you're a fan of Mumford and Sons or any band like that, like I am, I am interested in when they're going to release their next album. I've heard nothing of that new album. I don't know a single song on it, but I'm tracking when that album's going to be released because I love the artist. And that's the same way that God can empower us to take an interest in each other. I don't have an interest in you yet. I've not listened to this album. I've not read this latest book. But I know the author. I know the artist. I know what he's like. And I want to see anything that he's done. Maybe that could be the thing that draws us in to ask that question, to come a little bit closer. Sometimes that's the problem that we have. When we're asking, God, give me compassion for these people. Sometimes what we're actually asking is, Excite my emotions, and once you've done that, then I'll be bothered. Make, make something change in me that makes me really want to do it. Sometimes God honours that, and, he, and he, he gives us a compassion that means that we can't stop but be drawn towards someone. But I think sometimes God says, you open the book and start reading, and I promise you it will hook you. And that's what happens with our my experience of working with young people. I don't know you yet. I don't know what's in that book. But I know that God's written it. He's ordained every day of your life. And if I can just start reading something, I'm pretty confident God's going to hook me. I remember that there was one story with one young person where he would always like to tell me about how he got into trouble. And I'd always be telling him off, no, that's naughty, you shouldn't do that. And it was 
Um, we'd gone to clear out someone's garden together. And I thought, you know what, this, is, this young person, I want to have this young person with me. This young person hadn't hooked me yet. There wasn't, there wasn't something that, that I really loved about this person yet. But I thought, well, let, let me take this young person with me. And as we were talking, and as he's telling me about his, the naughty things that he got up to, I was about to tell him off again and say, no, it's naughty. Why? And I thought, okay, let me ask the question. Why do you do this? Why do you get yourself into trouble? And he said, I guess I just love the thrill of the chase. And then I was about to say, no, 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 that's wrong, you shouldn't. And God said, well, is it? And I thought, oh, the question that I left, the impression that it left on me was, is there space in the kingdom for Bart Simpson? <laughs> and as I kind of mulled on that for the next little while, I thought, I wonder what David felt as he went down onto that plane to face Goliath. I wonder what Elijah felt when he faced off against those 400 or 450 prophets of Baal in front of all of Israel. I wonder what Jesus felt when he faced off against the Pharisees. I think there must have been a thrill of the chase there. It's not being channeled in the right way, but I think that's God-given. But it took spending the time. It took overlapping my life with this young person to actually open the book, start reading, that God hooked me. And there was something then that came, came to me for that young person that still hasn't left to this day. And that's the way I think sometimes God works. Gives us, just, just give the chance. Give the chance of the curiosity. Let's see what happens. So what can kill curiosity? Well, oh, sorry, that was the art one. What can kill curiosity? Well, sometimes if we're only focused on one part of the picture, we're only interested in the one thing. Well, that, that's not my bag, baby. You can have that one. I'm not interested in that. That's an Austin Powers reference. No one will get it anymore. No one's going to get it. I'm only interested... If, if you talk about this subject, I'm on board. If you talk about anything else... I'm tuning you out, I'm listening, I'm nodding, I don't care. As a killer of curiosity. I'm too busy. So much going on, and they could all be really good things. I've got to get the youth to the weekend away, because they're going to meet with God there. I've got a whole bunch of people behind me that I'm responsible for leading. I've got someone I've got to pick up from the train station. I've got lots of good reasons. Maybe the priest... And the Levite had lots of good reasons. Maybe Moses could have said, well, I'm here to look after the sheep. That's my job. Maybe Jesus said, I'm trying to get to someone, someone's daughter that's about to die. All very good reasons to be busy. Maybe you think, you know what? I'm not opening that can of worms. I ain't getting involved in that. That's going to be a whole load of pain if I get involved in that. It looks messy. I don't, want, I don't want to ask that question. It's going to lead me into a spiral. It could put me in danger. might make me feel uncomfortable. What if the robbers are waiting there for me as well? Another killer of curiosity is the prepackaged answers and responses. What have we already got up our sleeve that we don't need to think about, that we can just reach off the shelf, boom, Got you, got you, got you. Anything you need. It's all here. 
thought about it all first, sealed it up, was ready to go. So once me and um, Michael were hanging out with um, one of our friends, and we're sitting by the campfire on a beach. It was all very lovely. It's about to say romantic, but not particularly. <laughs> um, but he, um, this, this guy said to us, so do you have to like someone? Can you just love them? So I reached up my shelf, got my prepackaged answer, started quoting verses and all kinds of answers. And Michael was a little bit more curious than me, and he said, why do you ask that question? And the guy said, because I don't like my father. Ooh, that opened up a whole different response. My prepackaged answers were not relevant at that point in time. We opened a can of worms. We came close enough to really hear what was going on in that guy's heart. And we had the opportunity to speak and minister to him in a way that we hadn't expected before. Prepackaged answers are a real killer of curiosity. So my challenge for you today, unleash your godly curiosity. Ask God to, to pique that curiosity. Make me more sensitive. Give me an itch for your people. God, what have you got for this person? Am I satisfied that that person's just attending the meeting, just going through the motions, or is there something more for them? Like the questions that we did for the, for the youth at the survey. We don't want to just know the right answer. We want to know the real thing, what really matters. Or that WhatsApp conversation. What can I say that will boost this person? What can I, how can I encourage them? How's someone coping with the events in their life right now, how are they finding God in it? My challenge for you this week, unleash your godly curiosity. Think about the conversations that you're going to have this week, the people that you're going to be around. Perhaps God wants you to see something. Perhaps he wants you to be distracted. Perhaps he wants you to be interrupted by a burning bush. And as you go towards that, He's going to speak to you and unlock something for you or for someone else.